I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. for another hot week. My name is Emma Race and today I brought the oranges. I'm joined, of course, by my football-loving sisters from the outer and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Rana Hussain. Hi, I'm Tess Armstrong. And hi, I'm Kate Sear. Well... We're back into a little bit of a uh, an interesting combination here because we've got Tess and Kate on the screen zooming in and Rana and I are in the studio due to COVID precautions, which is an ongoing theme this year and I dare say it's going to be an ongoing theme for a really long time. We're pivoting like there's uh, no one else on the dance floor, but um, <laughs> I think that that will be a conversation that we're going to have today and, of course, the <laughs> Kate's emails just... Just pinging, which is something that I guess we're all getting used so to. Popular. We'll probably hear Tessa's dog bark soon. Um, if you had to be in lockdown like Victorians were this round, could you have been in lockdown with any better round of football? This was the one that you really wanted to be there for. So GWS and the Blues got their first wins, which were both mammoth especially in my household. Um, and we saw some great signs from Richmond and West Coast. Uh, Frio and Adelaide didn't disappoint. The Crows really missing Chelsea Randall and losing to the superpower of Frio, who just do not stop. But it was the Dees and Ruse game that had me at hello. I've got to be really honest. Ladies, <laughs> I want to ask you, Rana, I'll come to you first. What were your footy highlights? Oh, so many highlights. And I did feel a little bit like because everybody was in lockdown, there were some extra, there was a bit of extra audience, I reckon, for AFLW. And I felt a bit like, you know, when someone meets your partner for the first time, they go, oh, they're really cool. <laughs> You're like, yeah. He is really cool. <laughs> I felt a bit like that, like, yeah, I've been loving this for a while. Now you guys can see what I'm talking about. Anyway, my highlight was Gabby Seymour's mark celebration, not goal celebration. I would have liked it a little bit more if she went on and kicked the goal. But basically she marked the ball in her game against Collingwood at Punt Road Oval and then just was so excited that she caught it. Some people didn't enjoy that. No. And it's a funny thing because I thought there was real joy in it, but I think people who uh, traditionally dine on a feast of only AFL-M thought, oh, settle down. But I actually loved it. And I think that that, right in that moment, it kind of 
really demonstrated the the disparity and the difference between the W and the M. Totally. I thought it was so wholesome and beautiful and exactly how I would have responded if if I ever caught anything, frankly. (laughs) Not COVID. (laughs) Not COVID. But my other highlight is not really quite from the round, but we knew as soon as Sarah Hosking got recruited by Richmond, we would have some epic war games ahead of a Carlton-Richmond game. And we've had that over the last few days with the Hosking sisters going to war against each other. We've seen Sarah Freeze, Jess's accreditation and mouth guard ahead of training and then Jess retaliating with Sarah's training kit in the pool. I mean, I cannot wait to see what comes next. I'm on the edge of my seat. It just makes me wish I was a twin. Teddy, you're uh, sitting there on the on the egg in the nest. You're like Horton <laughs> sitting by the egg right now. If anyone is a big fan of Dr. Seuss's Horton, here's who. Uh, you don't have twins, but what were your what were your highlights? I did love the tigers. I will say one thing on the Gabby Seymour moment. If you did have an issue with it, I will remind you that last year we went through a period of time where we had no sport at all. We couldn't see our families. We couldn't see our friends. We could do nothing at all. To be able to be outside playing sport with your friends is something to celebrate. So if she celebrated, if she laughed like that at at every bounce, I would be thrilled for her. We are so lucky to be able to play sport and to be able to do stuff and see our people just lighten up, live it up. Not lightening up are the Frio Dockers who we spoke about last week, who I just am obsessed with, as you all know, obsessed with Sabrina Duffy in the, in a way that, I don't know, could get weird. But anyway, I think she's just amazing. <laughs> and I think the Freo Doggers are just so unbelievable to watch. I loved that game so much. And Kiara Bowers every single week just blows everybody away. And you just see, like, if I was tackled by her, like not in this current state, but even in my regular state, I wouldn't be getting up for weeks. Now, Swamp, Sir Swamp Thing, who's an amazing statistician, put out last night the fact that she'd polled another perfect 10 votes in the AFL Coaches um, Association vote. Pardon? <laughs> Kominichi'd. <laughs> she Kominichi'd it. <laughs> she Kominichi'd the AFL Coaches vote. And that, that means that she's now got 114 of a possible 160 votes since making her debut. She's sitting on 71.25% of the votes. She is a freak of nature and she is she's looking for MVP for sure absolutely she's hunting it down she's, to tackle it she's one of those big game players nothing kind of can take her off the course of playing in that she gets in that zone and there's nothing you can do to stop her I thought Frio was spectacular against Adelaide because I just saw things crumbling that we haven't seen crumble before in the structure of Adelaide. I know that will have hurt you, Kate, because you are an Adelaide crow through and through. What were your highlights? Yeah, I, I it did hurt me. I'm glad you didn't say I'm a crow eater, though, because um, that's just so bizarre. And as a vegetarian, I object. Um, I, do, I do want to say again from Sir Swamp Thing, though, that on the Adelaide Frio game, I thought Frio was scary good. Um, but as you mentioned at the, the top M, Chelsea Randall was out, and that's a huge loss for Adelaide. And so Swamp Thing tweeted that uh, Adelaide has won 18 of their 25 games when Chelsea Randall's in the squad, and they've won just three of the eight games that they've played when she's not in. So she's obviously a huge loss for them, but... Um, Look, we haven't mentioned Brisbane, who sit atop the ladder, uh, but there's a bit of a caveat there. They've played three of the four bottom sides in the first three rounds, and they face Adelaide this week. So I think that'll be a real test for them. And 
give us a sense of their, their true form, but they are sitting on a huge percentage of 502.9. So they are really, really well placed. Uh, but for me, it was the Melbourne North game. It was absolutely sensational. One of, if not perhaps the best game of AFLW that we've seen in five the five seasons so far. Even the men tweeted about it. Even the men, as Rana <laughs> mentioned. Um, so Melbourne tryout, 60 to 51. And there were so many terrific performances uh, from, from Melbourne. Karen Paxman, who has, I think, the best haircut in the AFLW, <laughs> if you don't mind. 25 disposals, one goal and four inside 50. She was huge, particularly when the game was in the balance in that last quarter. And so was Daisy Pierce, who put on a, a, a crucial tap right at the end. Tegan Cunningham, uh, two goals and five goal assists was terrific. And Tyler Hanks, who Shiloh Curtis talked about last week, actually, on, on this show, uh, is, is only just now a rising star nomination and she was um, she was massive I just thought that was a sensational game a shame that there couldn't be a crowd there for it uh, down at Casey Fields but um, yeah both of those teams are in terrific form and I just absolutely loved the contest. Hey Katie did you know that Paxman could play before or after this game? Are you being facetious? I am because being facetious. Max Gorn said, oh, this Paxman can play. This Paxman's <laughs> yeah. been playing for a very long a time. Very yeah, long time. It, was, it was a real eye-opener eye for me. I must say it was the first time I knew <laughs> she could play. But, um, yeah, what a game. Fantastic. What about – how did you feel about Brisbane? Brisbane are so dominant and they are playing so well. But even Mondays, Mondays don't bring them down. I actually forgot that game was on and I felt like such a terrible AFLW fan that I forgot. Did you remember, Katie? Did you set an alarm? Well, no, I didn't. And I must say that Lucy Race uh, will appreciate this. Monday is bin night in our house. <laughs> so it was a bin night game for us and I was totally thrown by it. And a 5.15pm start for those of us in in Melbourne Um but, uh, yeah, look, I enjoyed it, especially being in lockdown in Melbourne at the moment. It's great to have a bit of footy to, to pivot, if we use that word again, pivot to straight after I finished work. So um, Brisbane were impressive, as I said. But, you know, I think this week will be the true test for them. One of my highlights every week is Kelly Underwood. She's coming up next. I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to The Yowder Sanctum. While we observe AFLW through our teeny tiny microscope, our guest observes AFLW through the binoculars for a living. We welcome the host of Offsiders, queen of the commentary box, Kelly Underwood to the Outer Sanctum. How are you, Cal? <laughs> I'm really well, Emma, Rana and Kate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're so pleased to talk to you. You've been watching and calling all the games. I feel like you're just always there on my TV, which I absolutely love. But there's been some massive changes and improvements this season. Everyone's talking about it. What do you see as the big improvement in the games this season? Um, oh, I'm absolutely loving it, actually. I mean, I'm finding out 48 hours before a game who I'm calling and where and what time, which is keeping me on my toes. But um, it's it's been terrific. I feel like there's five excellent um, elite teams in this competition. And then there's the sort of five battlers and, and they are the ones that are developing only doing their second pre-season and their second or third year in the competition. And then in the middle, you've got wedged there, these four developing unpredictable um, and super exciting teams as well. So we've seen, you know, a few blowouts, but in those blowouts, we've seen some remarkable goal kicking and remarkable skills and um, organised, disciplined teams like the Brisbane Lions and the Dockers um, 
and the Ds. And then we've seen, yeah, some, some ridiculous upsets as well. So um, what stands out to me is the teenagers, these 18-year-old girls that have come out of um, doing their VCE last year, Jess Fitzgerald, um, uh, Taylor Smith playing for the Brisbane Lions um, on the weekend, kicked three goals. Just the, the young guns, even still Prasparkas and Patrikios and Grider for the Lions, that, they are just taking this um, skill level or, or skills um, to a whole new level. And I, that just is so exciting. There's passages of play that blow my mind. It's been brilliant. Cal, you mentioned uh, Jess Fitzgerald, who maybe kicked uh, goal of the year uh, last last week, or at least one of the contenders for goal of the year. She was brilliant. But one thing I'm really interested in is how, as a commentator, you can get a consistent read on form and uh, you know develop those insights that you might in the AFLM from week to week in this hugely disrupted environment where, you, as you said earlier, you don't know who's playing from week to week. You don't know, uh, you know, who's going to be in the team. How how are you getting that consistent read on play? Well, I mean, just for example, last week at the start of the week, I was told that I'd be at Punt Road Oval calling uh, Brisbane and Richmond. Um, So then you sit down and start to prepare for Richmond and you go over and watch their tapes so far and um, speak to a few people at the club about the players and who's developing and who's having good seasons. And then I got a call to say, hold that. It's going to be Brisbane and the West Coast Eagles. Um, and so then I flicked the Tigers uh, sheet out, the, put that in the bin and start again. Um, and then I got told, no, it won't be Sunday night. It'll be Monday night. Um, and of course, given the COVID restrictions, we then go into the Fox footy studios in South Melbourne and, and do that off. We're, we're looking at about five or six different monitors with different camera angles. Um, to, to cover it. So, and, and then of course you prepare for it. You, I, I was working with Daniel Harford and I was working with Kate McCarthy as, as part of the commentary team. And we said, yes, this will, this will be a blowout and Brisbane Lions will blow them away in the first half. And these are the players for the Brisbane Lions that we should be talking about. And of course, West Coast were brilliant in that, in that first half. And it was just, I mean, I was excited in commentary just because of the heat they were bringing and putting the Brisbane Lions under the pump. So, that was one of the most enjoyable games I've, I've called all season. Hey, Callie, you mentioned Kate McCarthy there, and it's been so good to see athletes join the commentary box and talk about the game as well. And we're seeing that across AFLM and AFLW, a lot more athletes getting into commentary. Do you think there's still room for non-athletes in sports broadcasting? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly with ball-by-ball commentary. I mean, um, my personal opinion is the best ball-by-ball commentators uh, are the ones that probably haven't played the game because they bring that different set of skills um, to the game. And, um, you know, I, I for me, I think when it comes to ball-by-ball commentary, it's, a, it's all about your turn of phrase. It's all about your words. It's about you're sort of a storyteller in a sense, more so than going into the technical side of the game. I think that's more for the um, special comments role. So, um, you know, I, at the ABC, I call with Alistair Nicholson and he didn't play at the elite level. You look at um, some of the greats in, in Tim Lane, I think Anthony Hudson, Bruce McAvaney, um, along those lines. So there, there's still a role, definitely, for and women that haven't played the game to be involved. The ABC is going to be hosting commentary workshops specifically to mine that talent of the next generation of female play-by-play callers for footy, specifically for AFLW, and they're putting a call out for it now. What kind – I mean, you're involved in the process of that commentary workshop. They're putting calls out for people to send in uh, to – five-minute clips of them calling the footy. What would be your tips for people who want to put their toe in the water and have a crack at this? 
This is just a chance to, to come into the ABC to hear from some female commentators' insights, tips, advice, um, maybe more importantly, just make contacts, networking. Um, I would say, I mean, you need to love footy, obviously, um, but not be a footy fan. This isn't about, you know, what we do, I don't think is is being, look, we're just footy fans and we want to get the best seats, um, you know, at the MCG for the great games because it's, it's not glamorous like that. It's, it's more about wanting to be curious, be interested, um, be prepared to work weekends and odd times. Um, I think it gives you the opportunity, well, you need to develop a thick skin. Um, it is all consuming, but it's, it's exhilarating and it's exciting and, and you get the opportunities to build some relationships with truly great people. So I think, you know, anyone who's out there who has that ability to, they think they can tell a story through sports, through words and, maybe a bit of a cheeky personality, then this this could be for them. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's as simple as it, it sounds daunting, I think, Emma. Sit down on your couch, mute an AFLW game and just give it a crack and record it on your phone. Speaking of cheeky personalities, so you're saying, <laughs> Kelly, I can burst into song mid-commentary? So. <laughs> <laughs> commentary <laughs> the musical. <laughs> that would be my style, really. Katie, go okay. ahead. Kel, you mentioned that being a commentator is the best job in the world and that it's often exhilarating. I wonder if I can put you on the spot and ask you to recount for us one of, or perhaps, you know, if you have a particular memory that sticks in mind, the most exhilarating moment that you can think of as a commentator where you've been in the box and something you've witnessed that just blew your mind. Oh, you are putting me on the spot. I mean, the best feeling is when you nail a, a, com, a you know, a highlight. I mean, that's, you could be watching the most dour, boring game of all time and, and feel like you're half asleep um, because there's just no highlights and it's a scrap or it's in rain or and you just have to keep telling yourself, hang on, mark of the century could happen any minute or goal of the century could happen any any second. So you've just got to be on edge. You've got to stay alert. Um, and an example was that was, you know, Friday night's game in Geelong. It, it was a real scrap. It was good intensity, but there weren't a lot of goals in that opening half. And we said at half time, I was with Lee Montagna and Brad Johnson. Gee, that, that, that was the toughest half to call so far because you feel like you're monotone. I mean, you try and call in gears first, second, third and fourth. And I felt like I was just, you know, going along in second gear for the whole first half. And you, you think it's a reflection on your commentary. Um, and then you realize, no, no, there's been no goals and it's, 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 it's a good contest, but it's just tough to call because there's no ups and downs. And then just, Jess Fitzgerald got it, you know, sort of at half forward in front of me and, and took off. And, um, that's a great example of you have to be alert. You have to nail it. Um, I was trying to think as she ran in, just sort of went over that 50 metre line and I could see the hot pink boots chasing her and I was thinking, who's hot pink boots? That's Becky Webster, but her name didn't come to me quick enough. So I just went with Jess Fitzgerald all the way and um, and, and I think I went early with the goal of the year call before it even crossed the line. So thank <laughs> goodness it rolled through. But that that's an example of, you know, how, how exhilarating it can be. I mean, that, the first time I had that feeling was in the Channel 10 commentary box at the MCG when the Cats played the Hawks all those mm. years ago when Jimmy Bartell took that mark after um, uh, the siren and the scores were level. Um, and I had, I, I think I've recalled this story before, but I put the binoculars away and usually you try to have something in your head if something happens, be aware, and, and I'd switched off. Um, and back then I was, you know, probably 
quite scripted because I was terrified that I'd make a mistake. And so my mind was blank. And then that's when Tim Lane nudged me and said, no, 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 you call, you call this, which was incredible at the time. And so I did that off the top of my head with no real thought or preparation as to if he missed or if he didn't. And I think that was the defining moment when I called that. I mean, I was losing my voice and goodness knows what my voice sounded like back then. But <laughs> I, I felt like I nailed the moment in the words. And that was the time that the penny dropped and I went, actually, I think I can maybe do this. Whereas before that, I'd always sort of doubted myself. So yeah, it, it's just it's just finding the right, the right, the, it's almost like the perfect word in the perfect moment. That's a lovely story for you to recount, Cal, but it's just put Kate and I's Hawthorne supporters back into <laughs> some kind of just zipped up the body bag. When you're preparing for a call, you often look for inspiration from things like, you know, a kid's book, maybe Harry McClary, or you look for lines that you pick up all around the place. And we have an offering for you today, just in case there's any opportunity for you to work some um, sanctum mind um, culture references into your commentary. So I don't know, pick up a pen if you want, Cal, but North (laughs) is playing Collingwood uh, this coming round. Oh, you're not doing the game? Okay. No. I'm doing well, the other three. You can offer this on to Nigel Carmody in case Brie Davy does okay. something great. Nobody yep. puts Davy in the corner. <laughs> I think Rana's got one for you. I oh. like it. I'm a fan of um, Karate Kid and Cobra Kai as well, just quietly. Um, yep. And I was thinking Paxman on, Paxman off. Packs on, packs off. Packs on, packs off. Right. It probably Very works good. better in, in written word, but still, I'd go with it. And to close can, it out, can try that. to close this unbelievably inspirational segment for you out, Katie, what have you got? Well, I think Rhiannon Metcalf coming back into the, the Crows has been a huge in for them this year. So when she's having a good night, Kel, you might want to say that Rhiannon rocks like a bell through the night. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a whole list of them, Cal, and because we love you, we're going to send them through. Oh, please. I love them. I I thought of one the other week when I was doing Fremantle and it was Roxy Roo. And it was, what's the Roxy um, Chicago musical? And it was like, it's the name on everyone's lips, Roxy. (laughs) Now, this is the kind of crossover we want to see. And she she didn't kick a goal. So I've got that up my sleeve. Don't tell anyone. I can't wait for that. We'll keep it under wraps. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cal. And we'll put all of the details of the ABC commentary uh, workshop on our socials so that people can apply and one day grow up to be just like Kelly Underwood. Thanks Uh, for joining us, Cal. All you guys, all you guys. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, ladies. All right, let's roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies. Now, the one thing that we did notice is that when the fixture is pivoting, as it as it has been doing, dropping late, we're waiting for it, games change, we have noticed an outcry and some commentary on Twitter and socials from players talking about what they need to do to be able to make themselves available to play, whether that is take a day off work or, you know, find childcare or run to the airport, pack their bags, say goodbye to families, all those kinds of things. So we wanted to do some due diligence on the kind of support that the players are getting because we know they're not full-time athletes. Kate, you put a query into the AFL and the AFLPA just to investigate what kind of support the players in the AFLW are getting to support them through this period where we're just really putting the fixture together with sticky tape at the last minute. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And and one of the questions we asked the AFL was whether there is, first of all, a mechanism by which the AFL consults with the players and the clubs 
to establish what their needs are um, and, and how that consultation works. And so um, the AFL tells us that they do work closely with the players, with the Players Association and with the clubs to ensure the best possible outcome for everyone involved in the game. And that's an ongoing consultation. That's, so that's a process that happens week in and week out. Um, I'll just read from the AFL's statement to us here. They, they say that the AFL openly acknowledges there are unique challenges and recognise the non-football commitments of both AFLW players and staff. And through this open dialogue, we know the AFLW community remains determined to work through them to achieve uh, a full season. Now, we did ask as well about whether there are particular uh, specific resources made available to the players and clubs, because we've seen, as you mentioned, M players having to, uh, you know, pick up and, and move perhaps for, for weeks on end, um, you know, a huge disruption to their work lives and family lives and so on. And so the AFL did tell us that where clubs are required to relocate, the AFL and the AFLPA have agreed on a payment model for players, which is, which is good to hear. Um, and there was one other thing that we did want to query um, because you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the pod. A couple of weeks ago, we did see some players on social media who were putting a call out to borrow equipment seemingly from members of the public, uh, apparently because they didn't have access to any in this evolving environment where they f suddenly found themselves stuck at home or in lockdown. And so we wanted to ask the AFL if they had taken that issue up with clubs and if so, what was the result and whether they could guarantee that uh, players would have access to equipment and support going forward. And so the AFL uh, tells us that they have reminded clubs of the need to ensure that as a game we are best as best prepared as possible in a constantly changing environment. And this includes ensuring players are able to train accordingly if, for example, a snap lockdown occurs in any state and there's a requirement to isolate. Um, but, of course, they'll always be, re be led by, uh, you know, local public health directives and advice. So um, grateful to the AFL for, for providing that information to us and, uh, yeah, for, for clarifying exactly how it works. I would hate to see an AFLW player applying for a job and the the instability of of this situation impacting what their potential earning is or the potential is in the workforce and so i think people who are getting a lot of support from their businesses at the moment that's fantastic but that is not sustainable right Tess? I, I agree, Em, and I was actually talking to um, a different athlete, Emily Petricola, who's a Paralympic cyclist a couple of weeks ago, and she's a star, an absolute star, She's got, and she's heading to the, hopefully, heading to the Paralympics in Tokyo, but she was talking similarly about the, the work of her life. She has been trained to be an English teacher, and she could be an English teacher, but for the past, you know, 15 years she's had to take kind of roles adjacent to the school so you know she can help on the with the rowing team and she's always managed to find some kind of job to do in a school but she said for loads of women her age she they've had to give it up particularly this year because there's no there's no certainty and I understand that in a pandemic there's no certainty but in football there there is like so you've got this alternative you've got this look across there the men are full-time employees. So unlike, you know, so many athletes around the country who are also going through this as well, a time of great uncertainty where they rely on jobs to be understanding, in the AFL world, we actually have a model that works to um, facilitate some people to not have to do that. And so we can 
probably look to that instead. Not to mention that our expectations of these athletes and the level to which they perform is just increasing year on year. And so we want them to we want them to show the skills that we think will get sponsors and we want audiences to come and watch them. So we expect them to perform at this really high level, yet we ask them to jump all these hoops to do it in a way that we don't ask other athletes to do. So, oh, frustrating. One thing that was raised during the week, which I didn't go unnoticed, was that it was the three-year anniversary of AFL-X being launched. And I took a moment in, <laughs> in that tribute to remember that uh, in 2017, I think it was, Lucy Race and I were at a, a business lunch that Gil was speaking at. And he was very excited because he'd just come from the early trials of AFL-X. And he was so excited about it because he was talking about how AFL-X and playing it on a rectangular field was going to open up this game in a sawn-off version to the rest of the world. And, you know, Gil's legacy will be, for me, obviously AFLW, but his 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 overarching legacy, I think, has been expansion and his desire for this to be global. And, you know, we've seen the China games. We know they tried to get into India. Those things are closed to us now because of COVID. There will be no China game, I can't imagine, for the foreseeable future because how do you possibly send – how do you send any um, players overseas? I just don't know how that's ever going to happen. But it made me think while we're having the conversation about Tassie pushing for a team and about – you know, last week was Pride Round and that's all about acceptance and, and opening the doors and making sure more people feel welcome in this game. How important it is for us in this moment, instead of trying to build the game abroad to places where they have never heard of it, that we really need to focus in, and I think it would be good business, to focus in on people who already love the game. So, you know, where there are clubs knocking on the door saying, please give us an AFLW licence, we don't know how many more supporters of the of the franchises and of the business model will come in when Essendon Port and Hawthorne, big clubs that have huge followings who are really demonstrating that they're ready to have AFLW teams do have a license. And when Tassie gets, if Tassie was to get a team, it does make this a national competition and we start to really invest in our own homegrown um you know, passionate fans. The The other thing I was thinking about is how important it is that we already have Ireland as, as a country outside of Australia who's really invested in this game and they send so many um, exports here and, and, and there's heaps in the AFLW, but we don't really look after them. I think that we need to be very careful about just taking for granted what we already have stuck on as passionate supporters of, of this code. I recently saw an article by Brid Stack, who you will remember had that really nasty clash with Ebony Marinoff, and she wrote an article for the Irish Examiner, and I've been sitting on it for a couple of weeks. It was so full on to read. It was so honest in a way that only someone from outside the game, you know, or outside of the football bubble traditionally could say. She shares in this article, how disheartened she was by the overturn of Ebony Marinoff's suspension and her incredulity at being made a scapegoat. And I'm going to use a quote here. The trial by social media over here has still left a really bitter taste in my mouth. The Crows had every right to appeal the original three-match ban, but some of the evidence in their argument was laughable. They tried to suggest that I got injured in the first quarter. I'd be some woman if I broke my neck in the first quarter and kept on playing. And it reminded me of former Essendon player and Irishman Conor McKenna when he spoke to a uh, 
Catherine Murphy from the ABC about the footy media here in the wake of his COVID positive test last year. He said the reality of it is I had a deadly disease, but people were more worried about the AFL being put off than my actual life. Do we need to be much more kind with the people that already love the game in this new world order? Rana? They're all really good points and it did this conversation makes me think about, you know, what is the purpose of the AFL? And I feel like there would be executives who are tasked with your job is to make this brand as big as it can be and as lucrative as it can be. And this is a business and we need to make money. Um, But for us on the outer, potentially, we're looking at it as this is a league that needs to serve us and service us and our community first and foremost. And so it does bring up the question, what is the AFL's purpose, really? Um, You know, on expansion, I sort of, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd do both. Maybe, you know, to me, expansion doesn't bother me so much if it brings in revenue that then is invested back into communities and say women's footy. And so that's my question. You know, what what are we doing with the money that is coming in and where, where are our priorities once that comes in? On India and China, I feel like there's something that I really bump up against because while we want to kind of get this business from those countries, we haven't really shown any internal interest to be diverse as a league. And so as a person who's of Indian background, that feels so weird. It's so strange to hear that the AFL is going to India, yet I don't see it in and around throughout the whole league. Does it feel insincere? You said it, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Tess Armstrong, you have a lot of opinions in your life. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, I I agree about the push and pull of expansion. I've always been a footy traditionalist, and um, that is challenged. I, I've had to challenge myself over the years to say, well, hang on, I wanted us to expand into AFLW and into women's footy, and so what? You know, if I want that type of expansion, why is another type of expansion not something I'm interested in? Which I think is the question we should all ask ourselves regularly to keep ourselves accountable. I think this week. I don't think there is a modern reason why Tassie shouldn't get a team. I think it's outrageous. They are a strong footy state that has lost interest in this game over time because the game has not reached out. It's taken it for granted. I also think, why doesn't Northern Territory have a team? Why are we able to take the talent from these two territory in the state and then say, oh, but you don't get a team when we're happy, and I agree that we should be happy to expand into the Gold Coast and into Western Sydney, Um, areas that aren't super strong and that don't fund themselves, the AFL is happy to invest in those areas. If we're going to invest overseas, we've got to make sure we've got it right in our own backyard. Katie, are you going to invoke the patriotism of the Hills Hoist to make your point? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I love a good Hills Hoist. We should have the Hills Hoist, uh, you know, Hills Hoist sponsoring one of these new expansion clubs. But look, I I mean, I think, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm with Rana. I think The answer to these questions that we're asking really depends on what the AFL's purpose and objective is and whether we see them as having a kind of broader social or cultural mission or whether we see them as there to, you know, expand into new markets, um, as they would call it, um, and and to generate uh, income. And clearly, you know, some income must be generated in order for the game to be viable and also in order to support um, expansion into AFLW. But... 
Um, but I think not at the expense of people who love the game and, and want and want to be involved in the game. And I think there's no, sadly, no better example of this and the fact that the AFL doesn't really have its house in order in Australia than uh, something that one of our listeners, Michael, brought to our attention uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sharing this information with permission of, of Michael, who is a sight-impaired uh, listener and he recently made a video which he's given me permission to um to to play a bit of it's a video called the lack of radio coverage for afl women's games is a massive barrier for sight impaired supporters from a personal point i can't see what's going on on the television i'm not having to go at tv commentary here but i struggle to follow tv commentary i need to know every single pass every single detail to really get an idea of what's happening and I'm not getting it. And I do, I, I do feel a bit disenfranchised. I can't enjoy the women's game. I can't really get into Collingwood because I can't follow them effectively. And that's very distressing to me. I love my football, love it. And the radio is my preferred and they're just not doing it. Why not? Why not? Someone tell me why. Someone tell us why. After five years of the AFL competition, they're still not covering with any consistency on the radio and television as well, for that matter. Unless you've got Foxtel, you're hardly getting anything. Maybe, what, one or two games on seven, maybe three? But certainly not all of them. And that's just not good enough. So I did go back and have a look at the broadcast uh, schedule, broadcast guide, and, and Michael's right that out of uh, 21 games that have been played so far in AFLW Season 5, just eight of them were broadcast on radio, mostly by the ABC. There's been one game on SEN. And um, that that's the sort of stuff that I think the AFL needs to, you know, the AFL does need to get its house in order first here at home. There are also issues with access because of pay TV and internet access. You know, I've been concerned for a long time that um, many games, particularly in AFLW, are being broadcast on pay TV and that's not something that's affordable for a lot of people. And so there are people like Michael, uh, but also people from different backgrounds who are being shut out of watching the game here. And it would seem to me that if you're going to be investing money in the competition in any way, you would at least want to try and uh, capture those supporters or make sure that there are there's a suite of offering for those supporters first and foremost before we go splashing huge huge sums of money in India and China. Um, so to me that's really disappointing. I'm grateful to Michael for bringing that to our attention and I do hope that's something that can be sorted. One thing that we can't go past, Kate, is that the AFL has just announced uh, that they've faced an enormous deficit, COVID-related but they've also announced that there's going to be a huge concussion fund. So there's money that there's lost and there's money that they're, that they're putting towards this really massive project. How does that feed into the conversation we've just had? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a huge story. The AFL did record a $22.8 million loss on the 2020 season, which is unsurprising. But they do have huge reserves in order to um, uh, to, to help cover that, that loss. The... The story about the concussion fund is one that we'll certainly speak a lot more about throughout the year as we get more details on it. But for me, the question of whether or not that uh, fund or that system, that scheme that we've heard proposed will work, will, will be about the detail. The devil will be in the detail. And we don't know any of those details as yet, exactly how the minutiae will play out. I have worked in the past representing people um, in a very different context, uh, people who have been exposed to asbestos and been applying to a trust fund 
for compensation. And what I know from that work is that it's all about how the eligibility criteria are designed and developed and then how um, the, the actual implementation of the scheme rolls out. One of the details, though, that we did see, just a tiny detail that we saw announced this week, was that um, there will be eligibility criteria. And one of the things that's proposed is that you would need to have played a minimum number of games and sustained a minimum number of concussions in order to be eligible. That detail seems to me to be very bizarre and gives me a bit of concern about the scheme up front because it seems to be at odds with what we've been hearing about how uh, brain injury and CTE works. Um, so, again, I think let's just hold our fire, see what happens and see how those details play out if the scheme does roll out. And kind of speaking to Tessa's point is that this has been kind of created looking abroad to the US and, and then bringing back some of those principles here to see how we can do it better. Another massive story, Rana, which is also about money, is this week there was some announcements made about the Pathways Program, which actually brings uh, the girls and boys pathway programs to being equal it wasn't that well received across the board. An article by Tom Morris and Matt Barmer for Fox Footy talks about uh, the heart being ripped out of elite pathways for boys and how clubs are feeling disappointed and frustrated that the boys now feel as though they're being left behind. Clubs feel like the boys have been left behind when girls are actually provided now with equal opportunity. So what we're talking about here is equal opportunity, but clubs are fearing for the boys' talent pathways. It's such a fascinating conversation, isn't it? I mean, you could what we see as equality, others are seeing as now privilege, which is just such a strange and mind-blowing thing for me. When I think about equality in sport, there's one system that's done it so beautifully. The Australian cricket team refers to both the men's and the women's team and we've been lucky enough to be able to uh, jump in and really enjoy what is the Australian women's cricket team because they are just a bunch of very hard-working beautiful women who've got so much integrity and are the most unbelievably competitive players. You caught up with Meg Lanningrana. How was that? Oh my goodness. This was the first time in a year that I got to go to the MCG, be inside it, stand on the ground for the premiere of the record, which is Angela Pippos and Nicole Minchin's new documentary about the Australian women's cricket team's journey to the International T20 World Cup and the attempt to break the record of the largest crowd at a women's sporting event. Uh, the last time I was at the G was for that event. So it was a really kind of pinch myself moment. And I did get to speak to Meg Lanning. She is one cool customer. She is just so amazing. And if you watch this documentary, you'll see, you'll learn so much about her. But uh, she, as we know, is a Sydney Swans fan. And so I got to ask her a little bit about that too. No, I do watch a fair bit of it. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's not too far away for a Swannies team so I can support, support them as well. Without a Swans team on the field, who do you follow in women's footy? Uh, I mainly just follow people uh, that I know in, in the teams. Uh, you got Emma Carney, who plays at the Bulldogs, who used to play a bit of bit of cricket. Kirsty Lamb as well, and, and then Jeff Jeff Stuffin too. So uh, we've got a few a few girls who've played cricket. So I mainly just watch for the for the people I know. The ex cricketers, I get it. Emma Carney killing it at North Melbourne now. Uh, I'm interested to know from a this is a huge deal in terms of women's sport, this documentary coming out, but women's cricket in itself has taken huge strides in terms of gender equity. And I'm just interested to know what it's meant to you personally and professionally to have that pay parity. 
Oh, it's been uh, an amazing journey, I guess, from, from when I started. It was very much part-time and, uh, you know, in terms of commitment and, and money as well. But, uh, you know, Cricket Australia have really supported us extremely well, along with the, the ACA as well, in terms of trying to get us to pro- be professional athletes. And I think, in the, you know, especially the last three or four years when we've been, um, I guess, in, in that bracket, then uh, we've been able to really improve our cricket on and off the field and also just develop ourselves um, as people as well. So we've been very lucky to be supported so well and, and hopefully, it um, you know just shows for younger girls coming through as well that there's a really clear pathway to to take up the sport and um, you know if you do want to try and get to the top level you certainly can do that women's footy is yet to get to that professional level where they don't have to hold down a full-time job um, what can you say to them from the other side having <laughs> gone professional what have they got to look forward to Oh, it's it's the best job, I guess. I mean, I don't really feel like it's a job at all. It's it's you know being able to live out your dream and um, try and be as good as you can be. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that the AFLW does get to that point. I feel like they're sort of where we were five or six years ago. So um, you sort of got to do some hard yards, I guess, initially. But we all love sport and love the game and I guess that's what really drives us and you can see in the AFLW the the uh yeah the love for the game that they've all got so um yeah hopefully one day that that does turn into professional as well. I'm interested in if there's a woman in sport that we might not know so well but who inspires you and who is it and why? I think people will know this person but Belinda Clark was someone for me who I looked up to a lot um coming through especially as a leader she she took over uh, the captaincy of Australia at a very young age as well which was similar to me and uh, she you know sort of had that that understanding and, and want to sort of help me out I guess and talk through different situations and I think that's really important that you've got someone coming through because yeah what I've sort of found out is you, you just end up in new situations all the time and you, you need to be able to adapt and um, yeah I guess as a leader it's important that you're able to to learn and, and try and make sure you, you can get the best out of those around you so um, Belinda was certainly someone for me. I love hearing about that relationship you have with Belinda and I've, I have heard you speak about her in the past. I'm interested, so you took over captaincy from Jodie Fields in 2014 at quite a young age and as you just mentioned, we see in the AFLW as well a lot of young women taking on leadership roles. What advice do you have for them if they're coming into those roles without heaps of experience and also a lot of publicity around the game too? Oh, I think firstly you've got to just stick to um, your yourself, I guess, and, and what you you believe in. That's the most important thing. And the reason why you you get put into those leadership positions is is because of the work you've done before. Um, so you don't need to, to change too much when you get into a position. I think it's an easy thing to do. And and the other thing is to accept that you're going to get some things wrong and, and be okay with that. Uh, I think yeah. Initially, when I sort of took over, I just wanted to make sure I got everything right and didn't want to make mistakes. But the the reality is that you have ups and downs, and um, sometimes you don't quite get right and just being able to learn from those I guess is is really important as well. What's next for you? Oh I think in cricketing terms that the 50 over World Cup over in New Zealand next year is sort of the the big piece we're after. We we don't have that trophy in in the cabinet and um, uh, there's quite a few players left over from the 2017 World Cup where it didn't go to plan so um, everyone's sort of striving to to try and get that trophy I guess and um, that's what we'll be working towards. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries thank you. Meg Lanning is the captain we all need in our lives, Rana. I'm so thrilled that you got to catch up with her. Last week, we watched St Kilda and Carlton go head to head, which makes it even sweeter. To give you this offering of thank you for being a friend this week, it is Carlton's Gab Pound speaking to her dear friend, Kate Sheerlaw from St Kilda. Hi, Gabriella Pound from Carlton. How are you? 
Elizabeth. Thanks, uh, Kate Shearlaw, for saying Q&A. You well? Yeah, pretty well. Just had my COVID test, so I got through another one of those. I had one yesterday. How, how was the tickle up the nose? Yeah, good. It was actually the best one yet. As you can imagine, a bit of a, a bit of an overreactor. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, All right, I'm going to kick off, kick off the questions for you, Gab. Yeah, let's go. So my first one for you is, when do we laugh the hardest together? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like our friendship was built on bad jokes. There's just a lot of inside jokes that only us understood, and there was a lot of times when we would just be laughing crazily. <laughs> and everyone else would be looking at us like, what? <laughs> so good. Sheila. You could incorporate one of my best qualities into your own life. What would it be, and why? I'd probably say how authentic you are, and you just don't really care what people think, and you really stand up for you, what you believe in and what you think is right. And I, I really admire that. So yeah, I'd probably take that into my life if I could. Oh, bless! Very cute. Very cute. Straight back at you. If if you could incorporate oh, no. one of my best qu- qualities. In your own life, what would it be and why? Well, you're pretty, you're pretty bloody tall. I mean, that's just, that's just you. But I'd like to be clunking wise like you have been this season. That's not bad, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you, you're, you're great. Like, you are one of my greatest supporters. I'm, you're probably my number one go-to for anything that I need to get off my chest or talk about. So, I really like that about you. You're not judgmental. That's cute. Thank you, Gab. Love you, shitty. Love you. <laughs> um, Kate, how has our friendship changed over the years? Well, I guess when when we first got to Carlton, we were both pretty shy. Um, I didn't know anyone and you were actually quite shy, which is hard to believe. But as we sort of got to know each other and feel comfortable in the environment, I think we came out of our shells a lot and that's just continued to grow as we've, as we've um, been friends, I think, five years now, so... Um, yeah. I feel like we can we can say anything that we want to each other without judging each other. Um, we can we can be silly and do whatever and not not care what each other thinks. Yeah, pretty cute. I, I remember like when you first came to the club, and we didn't actually have much to do with each other until maybe midway through preseason, and then we started talking and really connecting. I think our we'll, we're pretty alike. I just remember thinking, oh. Why, why haven't we spoken, like, right at the start of pre-season? I don't think I really opened my mouth for the first half of pre-season because yeah, I was maybe, so scared. Yeah. Maybe that was it. You were just so quiet. <laughs> um, uh, next one for you. What's the best thing about being friends with me? I love, yeah, Matt. Nah, it's yeah. nice. We, we, go, we go for a lot of walks. We're probably due for one pretty soon after lockdown. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, now that we've, like now that. That we've played each other too, we can go for a walk. Yeah, same same with Tani, my partner, plays the Saints as well. Um, you guys have become pretty good mates as well, I guess. Um, yep. So yeah, it was um, it was an awkward trip um, home on the weekend. <laughs> I'm surprised you drove drove together. I I made sure that we went in separate cars. No, Tani Tani did not let us go to the game together. She actually ditched a ride with Tilly, but the way back. Um, she dipped her head and was like, all right, I'm coming with you home. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shitty. I mean, Sheila. <laughs> I nicknamed you that as well. You hadn't had a um, nickname before that. No. I was just, just, it was just, you know, blindingly obvious, I think. Um, 
Sheila, what's the best thing about being friends with me? I think the best thing about being friends with you is uh, constantly, constantly um, having fun. Like I'm always laughing when I'm around you, even if I've been a bit down. If I'm around you, I'm constantly in a better mood. So that, that that's just the absolute best thing about being friends with you. Yeah, how good. Always have a bit of a laugh. We've got we've got pretty similar humour, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> and quite a few inside inside jokes. Yeah. Yeah, just silly. Just a lot of bad jokes. Bad jokes from you. <laughs> If we could plan a perfect day together to hang out with no restrictions, what would we do? A park. Park would be fun. We've got like footy, frisbee or something, just chilling. Got a bit of um, picnic food, maybe a little vino. (laughs) Or even a hike. I want to go on a hike. That'd be cool. I feel like we're pretty similar in what what we enjoy to do in our in our spare time as well, so that helps. And probably um, it probably would involve you coming over and and Carney cooking you dinner and me just sitting there talking to you. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you're offering the um, the sodas and limes. Making but... sure that you're hydrated at all times. Love that. <laughs> Sheila, last question: If we were trapped together on a desert island, who would survive the longest? I feel like the default would be you. I think everyone would think that you would survive. But I think people I think I, I think people underestimate me because I'm quite an overreactor and a bit of a drama queen, but I think we'd both do pretty well. I reckon we could make something out of it. We'd complement each other pretty well. At least we have like a friend though. That's exactly right. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. It's almost time for us to get out of here. Just a reminder that there are some amazing games coming up this weekend. The round, as it stands at the moment, is St Kilda v Geelong on Friday night, which I think is going to be an amazing game. On Saturday, your Tigers meet my Blues in what is going to be the Carlton Respects game, which you know I just absolutely love using football as a platform for this message. Kate, tell us about Carlton Respects. Yeah, Carlton Respects was launched by the Carlton Football Club in 2016 and it's a game that uh, a community initiative that aims to promote gender equality and uh, awareness about the prevention of violence against women. You'll see all the Carlton players wearing orange socks, which they do uh, each year. There's a lot of information on the Carlton website and on their socials about that, but um, it's a really important moment to pause and reflect on the incidence of and prevalence of uh, violence against women in Australia, and I urge you to have a look at their socials for more information and support. I'm not going to read out the rest of the games because things could change. I'm just going to urge everybody to make sure they've got their app handy and stick to our socials on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for updates and other information. Of course, I want to remind people that the ABC is looking for female play-by-play callers for AFLW and hopefully AFLM, and people can apply. They should apply quickly. We'll put all the details on our websites and socials. Rana, are you going to apply? Because I'd love to hear you call the play-by-play. Oh, I absolutely will be applying, especially now that I've got some tips from Kelly Underwood. So (laughs) I will be, and I'll be telling all my friends to do so as well. I want to hear you say, Kate McCarthy, certified freak, (laughs) seven days. 
days a week. <laughs> oh, yes. I will be getting creative with it. Don't worry. It is time for us to get out of here. But before we do, we need to say farewell to one very, very important member of our team, Tess Armstrong. This is your last episode. You're not with us as we do final business because you've had a doctor's appointment. But uh, we won't be hearing from Tess for the rest of the year because she has to go and have her baby. We wish you all the very best of luck with what is going to be the most amazing journey of your life. And there are nine aunties here and dozens of people listening who send you and Sam all the very best of luck for this amazing moment. We cannot wait to have a little Sanctum Junior with us next season. But for now, it's time for us to get out of here. Thanks so much for being with us. Only one thing left to say, ladies, and it is... Go Go footy! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.